Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. As always, I'm Lynn Wilder with Ex-Mormon Christians United for Jesus. Find us at www.unveilingmormonism.com. And I'm here with my husband and co-host, Michael. I'm still here. You know, she hasn't fired me yet, but uh, I'm doing the best I can for an old dude. Uh, But uh, we're having a lot of fun. So... Uh, we recommend, though, when you're traveling out west and you're in an RV, make sure your back wheels do not come off. It causes problems, okay? Like about $25,000 worth of problems. So, but anyway, uh, we made it back. We're home. So, uh, yeah, for those who don't know, we go where God sends us. We speak at churches. Uh, we do a number of things. We do workshops, etc. And um, we did have a little RV accident this summer. But moving on, we have a guest today. Paul Nuremberg is with us. Paul, I'm excited to hear your story because I don't really know the details of this story. Paul is, of course, former LDS, married, five children, wonderful wife, a dog, and a cat, I understand. Paul does, with a couple of other friends of ours, a wonderful podcast called the Outer Brightness Podcast. I'm assuming being former LDS that Outer Brightness is a play on Outer Darkness in Mormonism. Um, Paul, welcome. Paul's here today because he's one of the authors in this new book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. Tell us a little bit about your missionary experience, Paul. Yeah, so um, I left on my mission for the LDS Church in 1997. Um, I'm originally from Utah. I live now in Kentucky, um, just south of Cincinnati, and um, left on, left on my mission in 1997 to Budapest, Hungary. Um, so I spent wow. two years there. Uh, most of that time was in, well, about half of that time, I should say, was about was in uh, the city of Budapest in different um, districts of the city. Um, but I did spend about five months uh, in southern Hungary in a city called Seged and another four months uh, in northeastern Hungary uh, in a city called Nyiricaza during that time. Wow. We have been to Eastern Europe. One of our sons served a Mormon mission in Russia, and we picked him up and went all over. Um, yeah. Have a great heart for the people in that area. Did you ever question your Mormon faith when you were on your mission? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I did. Um, so I could probably give a little bit of a background into my story, if you'd like, yeah, kind of start a little it. early. So. Um, I'll give a little bit about my family history and background in the LDS church, as well as note some things about the LDS cultural and inter- intellectual landscape while I was coming up um, that you'll probably be probably be familiar with, Lynn. Mm-hmm. Um, but are which those those things are kind of integral to my story. Um, so I was born in 1978 uh, into a family of mixed religious heritage. On my mom's side, the connection with Mormonism goes back to pioneer ancestors. So my great-great-grandmother joined the LDS church in Denmark in the 1860s and left there an ailing husband with one of her adult daughters to gather to Utah. And so she she crossed the ocean and then crossed the plains pulling a handcart with another wow. of her daughters. 
Um, and then they eventually, she eventually remarried after her husband passed away. Uh, her other daughter came and joined her and um, they settled in Pleasant Grove, Utah. And then other family members settled into Idaho where my mother was born. Um, my dad, on the other hand, was a first generation convert to Mormonism. Um, so he joined the LDS church in, in 1969 uh, at the age of 26 um, after having met some LDS missionaries. Uh, his dad had passed away kind of suddenly and it caught him by surprise and made him question uh, some of the religious upbringing that he had had in the Lutheran church and, and a Baptist church. And mm -hmm. so when the Mormon missionaries arrived, he received their lessons and he and my grandmother joined. Um, so in terms of our, you know, the religious culture of our family, we were, we were mostly active in the LDS church while I was growing up. Um, my dad at times struggled to reconcile LDS teachings uh, about other Christian churches with the experiences that he'd had growing up and as a young adult in Lutheran and Baptist churches where he knew many wonderful Christians mm -hmm. um, who loved him and his family. And um, so sometimes he also, I remember, would have heated conversations with his brother, my uncle and my aunt. Uh, they were born again Christians and, and they would try to convince him that Mormonism was false. Um, and my mom, on the other hand, provided a staunch believing traditional Mormon worldview for us. Um, she was trained at BYU uh, in doing uh, her her degree was in library sciences, uh, but the goal was to have her do family history research. So she would do genealogy, go downtown Salt Lake City uh, to the family history library, and and worked for clients there, helping Latter Day Saints uh, and others seek out their family history. Um, so it was kind of an interesting upbringing. Uh, we received kind of traditional LDS teachings coupled with a more charitable view of evangelical Christians from my dad um, in the late. And then, so to talk kind of about, so that's my family background to talk kind of about the intellectual background of Mormonism as I grew up um, during the late 1960s and throughout the 1980s, the Christian counter cult movement had kind of taken aim at, at the Mormon church mm -hmm. and the response from the LDS church was kind of to come out of its more insular past. Um, so you had leaders like Bruce R. McConkie, and then you had the correlation committee trying to create like a standard set of LDS doctrine and instruction during that time uh, that both maintained the LDS church's distinctive teachings while also uh, presenting itself as, as just one among many Christian churches. So kind of growing up in that environment, I was taught, you know, yes, I'm Mormon, but I'm Christian, right? That's what, what I was taught. And so, um, also during that time, kind of on the more conservative side, you, um, had the rise of like Mormon apologetics groups, like the foundation for ancient research and Mormon studies, uh, formerly farms, um, and the foundation for information and research fair LDS. Um, those groups were kind of integral as I struggled and began to have doubts as a, as a young return missionary. Um, so that's why I mentioned them. But then on the more liberal side, also you had um, the LDS church was challenged from within by some of its own scholars who were writing for uh, venues like Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought and Sunstone. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, all of that comes into play as I'm doing research and trying to understand what it is I believe when I came home from my mission. Um, but my questioning really started when I was younger. Um, when I was nine, we moved from Salt Lake City to West Jordan, uh, so a suburb of Salt Lake City. 
And the friends that I made uh, at my new elementary school, uh, two of my closest friends that remained with me through middle school and high school, um, one was not LDS. He came from a Roman Catholic background, but they didn't really practice. And the other was from an LDS family, but his parents had divorced. And um, he really was angry at his dad for leaving his mom. And so he wanted nothing to do with his dad's LDS faith. So, um, and those two friends, as we were growing up, we played basketball together. And um, I saw them be treated poorly sometimes by my fellow Latter-day Saints because they were Gentiles. They were not members of the LDS church. And, and so that started me wondering, like, why why are they treated like that? You know, my friends are good, good guys. You know, we don't get into trouble together. Um, and then during my teenage years, uh, I... I played basketball for for the schools, middle school and high school, and and that really became my focus. And I kind of fell away from activity in the LDS Church. I still kind of peripherally uh, participated as in Boy Scouting and would occasionally attend church with my mom. But there were a few years there where I just didn't attend very much. Um, and there was there was a time when I had a girlfriend, and um, we had. Uh, so we weren't sexually active, but we we went farther than the LDS church says is right to go. And that caused me a lot of guilt as a teenager during those times when I that time when I was um, inactive. And um, for those listeners who may not know, in the LDS church, uh, the youth uh, used to be twice a year would have a meeting with the, the local congregation's bishop. Um, and during that meeting, they would ask, you know, how are you doing? Is there anything you need to repent of? And I had one of those meetings with our bishop and I was feeling guilty. And he asked me if there was anything that I needed to repent of. And I knew that according to LDS teachings, I should confess to him what I'd done. Um, but I didn't. I told him, no, I was fine. Left his office that Sunday afternoon and started to walk home. I got about a block away from the church and just felt like, you know, my guilt was increased. I felt, it, it felt to me like the the flames of hell were licking at my neck, right? I, mm. not only had I done something that, the, that my church taught me was wrong, but now I'd lied to the bishop about it. So um, I turned around, went back to the church and knocked on his door kind of sheepishly and he opened it. Um, I sat down in his office and confessed to him. And he at that time, opened the Book of Mormon to me and read some passages from there. But the message that he told me, which um, I've been told since then, and I, and I think too, it's, it's not a really a Mormon message, right? The message that he told me that day is that he said, Paul, I think that God has already forgiven you for what you've done. And now you need to learn to forgive yourself. Hmm. And... I left his office that day feeling like a burden had been lifted. It was kind of the first time in my life I had experienced what grace feels like and what forgiveness feels like. Wow. And so so no, um, no, oh, what's the book? Miracle of Forgiveness. <laughs> not at that time, no. I never encountered that book until I was on my oh. mission. Yeah. And, and you, you know, didn't that's, have... That's, Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I haven't been in leadership for many years myself. The, actually, here your your bishop, you were fortunate to have a bishop that was 
very wise at that point because so many bishops I would work with would have just called you out on the carpet, you know, yeah, you know, not not obviously excommunicated, but might have, you know, put you on restrictions on, you know, taking the sacrament or mm-hmm. having to come in to speak with the bishop every other week or this or that. But um that was that was some very good wisdom. So uh, and it's amazing. You know, I've worked with a lot of great men in the LDS Church over the years. Some very kind people. Then other leadership men were just as rough as could be. So you you got one of the good ones, and that's yeah. probably a very good thing for your own sanity at that point as being a young young man. Yeah, for sure. I had I had experienced the other side of that with the prior bishop. Um, with with something different that happened, I was I was staying over the night at uh, at a friend's house, and um, there was a kid that lived across the street that used to throw rocks at us while we were playing basketball in the driveway. And my friend was tired of it, so he decided he was going to vandalize their car, the, his parents' car, this kid's other kid's parents' car. Uh, so he did that while we were there, and we, um, me and my other friend that were with him, uh, helped him to de- devise a an alibi. Uh, but the police showed up at my doorstep the next morning. And, uh, and so then we went to the bishop's office and, and yes, that bishop put me on the restrictions. No, no partaking of the sacrament, um, no passing the sacrament. So I, I had experienced that side of things as well. Um, but this other bishop that I had later, um, I mean, he was great. He, he later was the bishop that kind of shepherded me, shepherded me towards serving a mission, um, got me going to seminary as a, as a, uh, high school student. And so I did all of that. I had uh, a seminary teacher that, uh, you know, I, I was I was kind of a trouble kid. I'd, I'd skip seminary because it was an easy class to skip without getting into trouble with the school. And I'd go with my friends to breakfast. <laughs> and uh, uh, this one seminary teacher made me class president so I couldn't skip anymore. Um, <laughs> but uh, my senior year of high school, um, I ended up going to a new high school that had been built in the area. Uh, to play mm-hmm. basketball for uh, the man who had been my junior varsity coach. Uh, he got the head coaching job at this new high school and asked me to come play for him. So I went to play there. And the the group of guys that I was on that team with were great guys. They kind of brought me back into activity in the LDS church during that year and um, got me excited about serving a mission. Um, so I ultimately ended up doing that, left in 1997. Um, and while I was on my mission, you know, initially you go to the mission training center and they, they really pump you up. You get really excited and, and, and zealous to go out. And as you, as you well know, from, from Micah's experience and uh, Matt's experience, you get really zealous to go out and, and share the LDS gospel. And um, so early on, I was, I was very excited. Uh, and then I had some experiences um, that on my mission that uh, again, brought me kind of face to face with, uh, the fact that the LDS system really is a system of works. And um, so one of those was when I was in Budapest in my third area of my mission, um, we happened to meet a Lutheran pastor and he was willing to have us have us come to his apartment and um, speak with him. And um, he wasn't real keen on us trying to share our beliefs with him, but he would share his with us. And it was sometimes the conversations with him were a little heated. I remember writing in my journal that, that I would get frustrated with him, but uh, he was sharing the gospel with us. And it was, 
things that you don't really hear as a Latter-day Saint, the things that he was sharing, um, like the difference between law and gospel from a Lutheran perspective, that kind of thing. And um, then later when I was in uh, that city in Southern Hungary in Seged, I was asked to be the branch financial clerk. Um, so uh, there was a, a branch president there. Uh, and for those listeners who may not know, the, the LDS church is organized sort of like, uh, it's similar to the Catholic church. It's organized with stakes, which are akin to like a Catholic diocese um, and wards, which is a congregation. But in an area where there's no stake organized, um, then you have branches instead of wards. So um, we had a branch president there who was a really good man, good Hungarian man, cared for his congregation, um, and uh, but was not a very good record keeper. So he would help his uh, congregation members out who needed help from the church financially, um, but didn't do a great job of organizing the receipts and keeping the books up to date. So when I went there, uh, the books were four months in arrears and I was asked to catch them up. So I would spend lots of time evenings and Sundays with him, begging him for receipts, getting the the books in order. And um, it was uh, it was a lot of pressure from the mission home to get that done and get that taken care of. And I, you know, I watched this branch president love his people. And uh, it seemed inconsistent with, to me, I mean, I, I know that, you know, uh, any organization's books have to be in order, right? But it seemed inconsistent to me, the love that this man showed for his people and the way he was kind of looked down upon uh, as a leader for not being up to date on his records. But um, I struggled with that. And I also struggled with the the idea that I wasn't out doing missionary work. I was doing office work. Uh, it seemed like an odd use of my time when they sent me there to be a missionary. Um, and then when I was in that city, also, there were some other elders who got into trouble in another city. Um, and I was pretty good friends with one of them. He got, he got caught up in some other elders doing some stuff and he got in trouble as well, threatened with being sent home. And, um, he called me and, uh, you know, was very hurt by the whole situation, the way that our mission president handled it. Um, and that was one of those things that, you know, I knew him as a good kid and it, it again, made me question like, what is, what is the system we're in? You know, is it, is it more about being perfect and being obedient or is it about love? Um, and then uh, we had an investigator in that city who, whose wife had left him uh, because he, he did not convert to the LDS faith when, when she and her children did. And I, I thought that was strange. You know, why, why would you break up a family? Um, and I remember his pain and 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 desire for reconciliation with his family. Um, he was taking the 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 the, the, the um, missionary discussions from us, uh, trying to prepare to be baptized, and um, and yet his wife didn't want to reconcile with him. She didn't believe that he was sincere. Um, and during that time, I also had uh, a Hungarian companion that was brand new to his mission, and so. Uh, my life 24 seven was, was Hungarian. I never got to speak English unless we were around the other missionaries in the city. And, um, so I, all of that made me feel very isolated at the time. Um, and really think deeply about what I was doing, why I was there, uh, the purpose of it all. And, um, 
we we happened one day to track into knocking on doors uh, a Baptist couple who were missionaries. Uh, they were oh. native Hungarians, and they let us into their apartment and for about an hour that afternoon preached grace to us. Mm. And I remember specifically uh, talking with them about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and how much that impacted me coming out of that apartment that afternoon. Uh, I realized, you know, what what they're saying about salvation by grace alone isn't what I've been taught up until now in my life. It's different. Um, and so then, you know, later I got transferred back to Budapest and um, I had made a, a goal that during my mission, I would read each of the standard works uh, during the two years that I was on my mission. Uh, and, and for read, non-Mormons, read, that means? Yeah. For non-Mormons, that means uh, each of the, the books that Mormons uh, hold to be scripture. So the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. And I had started with um, the LDS books, the Book of Mormon, then moved on to the Doctrine and Covenants, then moved the, the Pearl of Great Price, and then finally ended with the Bible. And at this point in my mission, I'm in my last area, and I'm I'm down to the New Testament. And I'm reading it in the mornings. I'm reading it uh, when I'm on the bus. And it's just fascinating to me. And I started to notice some similarities between the narratives in the Book of Mormon and the Bible. So, for example, Paul's experience on the road to Damascus and the experience of Alma the Younger. And that really got me thinking, you know, this really seems like um, the, the story of Alma the Younger was just copied from the Bible and recontextualized in the Book of Mormon. Mm. And that caused me a significant amount of doubt. Um, I really started to question the historicity of the Book of Mormon, but I was determined to be a, a, a firm believer in Mormonism. Um, so I used to sit on my on my bed doing my morning study and and kind of like uh, daydream as I'm reading the scriptures about, you know, I'm going to go home, I'm going to become an archaeologist, and I'm going to find the evidence of the Book of Mormon in Central America. You know, that was my daydream. Um, so I went home uh, in 1999 in May and immediately signed up to um, the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, which was a, a farms production at the time. So, and, so let's ho yeah, hold on there for one second. So this is, I, I, we're running out of time at this point, Land. I guess when we started late, the, the clock got off slightly. <laughs> so, so anyway, we have like one minute and 50 seconds left. Uh, or it's going to just shut down automatically. So let's keep that in mind where you are now, okay? Mm -hmm. And as we uh, kind of tune up here, we're going to do some other things. But uh, Len, if you want to kind of close up, review here, we got like a minute and a half, and then we'll start and do the next section. But remember where the heck you are, okay? This is a great story. I was just so fascinated here and not looked up and said, oh my gosh, the time. Uh, so normally we would have another five minutes or so, but that's the way this thing is working today. So uh, been a yeah, great it's day a good, on the computer. It's actually so, a good place to break in the story, so. Okay, okay. So Lynn, go ahead and do what you normally do here at the end. Well, Paul, I think, <laughs> is going to discover more about Mormonism and um, end up somewhere else. 
And so we're excited to hear part two of this story because God does some amazing things in people's lives. Um, we give him all the glory. Grace and peace to you, friends. Until next time. Oh